you're muted. Okay, take two. We're gonna to tell the story over again for the people here. I apologize. <laughs> I said we're gonna right. So we're gonna start off right just again with the spirit. We're teaching the same basic text as last week, except we're gonna blow up everything we said last week. Um, so then you can decide which week you prefer, which week you prefer better. Uh, some of this is in response to Harvey's question during the week. So I thank Harvey for the for the feedback. Um, it takes a little while to warm up, and it has been two years since I taught uh, in person publicly, and so I can forgive a few mistakes. <laughs> and uh, also, uh, you know, like really, I find like it's you know, I want to teach new texts, but I got to. It's really hard to understand the first three or four times. So this is the second time that we'll see if it uh, we'll see if it holds up or not. I'm going to share the uh, the source sheet the source sheet on, on the chat now, um, and also gonna, I guess it's easier if I just share my screen, right? Let's just share my screen. And I'll try and check back to uh, see questions once in a while, or you can unmute yourself and ask questions. I'll just figure out how I get the screen. Here we go, share screen. Ah, uh, no. Okay, Rabbi Chesses apparently did not leave me the authority to share screen, so I'm going to put the source sheet in the chat. Um, okay, it is, I think, important to follow along with the source sheet this time, so I encourage you all to put it up on uh, put it up on screen. Anyway, so. Uh, as I said before, I discovered I was muted, but I've decided that it's still wise to say it, that uh, now I can see the chat so you can write questions as you go. Uh, the story I love to tell was uh, Rabbi Norman Lamb saying that, that the Rav um, used to yell at him in Shir, saying that Lamb, you, forget, you didn't bring your Yitzhara to Shir, you can't come to Shir without your Yitzhara. And I rarely, I'm rarely accused of that. Sorry, I'm stepping on my lines this time. <laughs> and uh, But that last week, uh, probably under the influence of Dr. Moshe Sokol, whose book had simulated me teach the Sagata, uh, I might have forgotten my Yisahara cheer. So we're going to try and make that up uh, this week. So let's start the Sagata. Well, I'm going to teach you to the way I did pretty much last week with the same issues, but hopefully we're not going to get stuck. So the Sagata goes sort of like this. There's a person who shows up in front in Rav's Beitin, and it seems that he wants to be a Moser. And he wants to hand over somebody else's property. For some reason, the property he wants to turn over is straw. I don't know why it's straw, and I, I'm open to ideas, but I still don't have an idea about that. Uh, Rav Kahana wanders in um, and breaks his neck. After Rav, Rav tells him not to be a Moser, he says, I'm going to be a Moser anyway, and then Rav breaks his neck, sort of matter-of-factly. There's no, there's no blood, there's no, there's no description, he just breaks his neck. After which, uh, sorry, Rakana breaks his neck, my fault, right? So Rakana sits in front of Rav, and then Rakana breaks this person's neck. And then um, Rav Kahana makes a really wild drusha. He quotes a Pasuk which says that the Jews are lying in the streets like a tav caught in a michmar, uh, right, exhausted like a war stag in a, right, in, a, in a trap or something, whatever it may be. You can read all the translations you want. Just right. So, so just like this boarhound when caught in a trap, they don't have mercy on it. So too, the money of the Jews, once they have it, they don't have mercy on it. Um, okay, and we pointed out this is a really weird drusha. Um, what is it? Wait, what is this? Why is there a drusha comparing? As a Moser. What are we right? What is the drush about money doing here? What is a tav? Why is it caught in a trap? Really made, um, really made, made um, just about no sense at all. The only thing we have about it is that Rashi says that the purpose of this drusha is to justify Rav Kahana's action, since they have no mercy on on the Jews' money once they have it. So, uh, I don't know these more just the drusha that he was before the drusha. Or with Rafkana, sorry, yeah, thank you. Rafkana is justified. Um, yeah, like, okay, you know, you, we knew, right? You, they were going to take, he's the most here. He's going to show their money, they're going to take. So I that Pasuk to Rav Kahana and said, right, right, and, Ra, and so Rashi says, Rav applied that Pasuk to Rav Kahana in order to justify Rav Kahana's action in, uh, in killing the Moser. But like, again, like, who needs a drusha? Either it's okay to kill Mosers or it's not. But then Rav says something really weird. He says, you know, up until now, we have lived in a country where um, the government and either the of the government is the Greeks or the Persians, 
We have lived in a government where the government really didn't have, it would have absolutely no effect on you whatsoever because just because they encourage people to inform, on, inform on you and they want to collect their taxes doesn't mean they're going to punish you because you killed their informers. They're utterly indifferent to that. But now we have the Persians under us. Presumably this is bad. And the Persians care about bloodshedding, horrors. Therefore, you would have kind of had best flee to Israel where presumably the government is a good government which doesn't care Or frozen. Um, you're back in the Zoom, but you're muted again. Okay, so Harvey, right, Harvey asked, um, is this really like a good moral story? Right, where you know, somebody shows up in Rav's court, has an argument with Rav, and the student sitting there just kills him. Not such a moral story. What have we learned from this story? Okay, so maybe say we're okay with killing those students, but it doesn't seem like the world's um, most, the, the world's most exciting, uh, most most uh, edifying story. Okay, this is a problem that, uh, right, these are all problems that the Marsha, it's one of the classical commentators in Agata, is aware of. So let's see what he says about them. So we're, on, we're on page one um, after the opening of the story. So the Marsha says, uh, Just like this animal, whatever it is, once it falls into a trap, you have no pity on it. So it seems to me, he says, the reason it takes this animal called a tab, which is a shor habar, uh, right, which is some kind of right, some kind of ox. Although, right, apparently the King James says antelope, and there are lots of other things, uh, lots of other possible interpretations. Some uh, Rishonim think it's a bird. Um, okay, right, just like that. So, what's the answer? The answer is that a tav is an animal. It says that even though it is hunted, it is not considered a chaya. Certainly not considered a vade chaya for the purposes of kisoy hadam. You don't have to cover his blood. And there's a pasuk which uh, which which seems to suggest about the death of Zechariah that the reason the death of the Zechariah was killed in Beit HaMikdash is so cruel is because they left his blood uncovered. Therefore, uncovering blood, right, killing something with its blood uncovered is a symbol of cruelty. Therefore, what we mean to say is that the, uh, the, the nations of the world, once they capture Jewish money, they treat it like an animal that you can kill without even, without even covering its blood after being trapped. Okay, it's very nice, it's very elaborate. Of course, it's also true of a behemoth, but pardon? Sounds like a stretch. But it sounds like a stretch. Yeah, I would agree with you. It sounds like a stretch. Uh, now, look, you know, if it were, if, you know, if, um, let's say, if, um, if uh, Rav had been the kind of position, you know, that, you know, let's say of a random Yerushashiva type who had to give an Agata share in an hour and hadn't prepared accurately, <laughs> adequately, right? So you've come up with something, it's like, it's a stretch, you know? But, um, like there was no overwhelming pressure. Nobody said, "Oh my goodness!" Nobody said, nobody said anything like that. So um, okay, right? So you know, there's less excuse for coming up with a really weak drasha um, in a pretty serious circumstance. Okay, but that's what we got. Pretty much, that I think is the best traditional explanation, uh, the only traditional explanation of why it is a tav in a mikmar. Okay. Uh, then he says, "Okay, so what about what about?" Um, what about Rao's instruction to Rav Kahana? So he says, look, you can't say that Rav, is, when he says, don't ask questions to Rav Yochanan for seven years, he means you need to do tshuva for killing the Moser. 
Because Rashi already explained to us that the purpose of the opening analogy was to explain that Rav Kana did the right thing. So it can't be that he's being given truva for that. He did the right thing. Okay. So here it makes a really interesting kind of argument. In the end, Rav does ask questions to Rav Yochanan, and Rav Yochanan does, in fact, kill him. Sorry, I did it again, right? <laughs> Rav Kana does ask questions to Rav Yochanan. You'll see what, why I have this confusion. Uh, and, um, and Rav Yochanan does kill him, so it would be a fine expression of the Rebbe Talmud relationship if Rav had, in fact, warned Rav Kana that, unlike me, Right, I like having questions. Mm-hmm. Doesn't like having people ask him hard questions, so don't ask him hard questions. Perfectly reasonable advice. Uh, the only problem is that Ravkana doesn't follow it. Right, Ravkana ends up ends up you know after being humiliated by by, by Rav Yochanan because he's trying to follow Rav's advice. Um, he ends up saying, you know, well, you said I shouldn't ask questions for seven years, but I've been demoted seven rows. That's good. That's obviously good enough. And that sounds. Like if, if what you're trying to do is um, is gain atonement, so that's the kind of logic that sort of makes sense, however you understand atonement. But if you're trying to prevent someone from getting mad at you, that's not going to work so well. Rabbi Yochanan didn't wait seven years, unless you think that Rabbi Yochanan needs to humiliate you so badly that he's not going to get mad at you. I don't know. That seems like a very that seems like a real like a real stretch. Also, I think Marsha is right. So he says, well, can't be for the murder because that was good. Can't be advice to avoid Rabbi Yochanan because even Rav Kahana wouldn't have made an argument that stretched to be able to ask questions. Um, okay, so this is where Dr. Sogol says, no, really, you know, Rav, the whole point was that Rav knew that Rav Kahana was kind of impetuous and he tried to restrain him, but he failed. Where all the stories you should listen to your Rebbe? Because when, when your Rebbe tells you not to do something, you'll get in trouble, you'll probably get in trouble. Okay, nice enough moral. Um, but I should think that there's a third, there's a, there's a third possibility. A third possibility is you can explain that Rav Kahana killed the Moser in front of Rav without asking Rav's permission. Now it happens that Rav afterwards affirmed him, but the din by Moser in court isn't Kanaim Pogimbo. Now it could be that Rav Kahana thought of himself as a look, right? Rav said to the guy, don't, don't be a Moser. And he said, yes, I will be a Moser. And then Rav didn't kill himself, so Rav Kahana had to do it. But you would like a moment in the story where Rav looks at him, you know, and you know, you'd like some elders from the tribe of Shimon there, right, you know, and other people crying, right, things like that to try and build the drama up to be like a Kanoi properly. It doesn't sound like Rav kind of waits at all, right? The guy says, I will, and so Rav kind of gets up and kills him. So we can say, says the Marsha, plausibly, that what the story is about is that Rav thinks that Rav kind of needs Chuba for uh, right, he's Shiva for being Mora Halacha Bishnei Rabbo. Right, he's Shiva, he's Shiva for his, right, for, for Paskining in front of his teacher. So, like this, you know, you can see this as a plausible reading because um, in the Bavli, without, you know, with, with appropriate, with appropriate, um, you know, but nonetheless, there is an element of this lensing thing. Uh, one of the things that always gets me about Harry Potter is that, like, there's really deep morals, but in the end, Winning the House Cup matters as much as saving the world from evil. Right, that's a given of all the Harry Potter books. Right at the end, right, Voldemort hasn't taken over. Right, no one. Right, but that doesn't. You know, but what really matters is that Gryffindor won the House Cup. So now there is an aspect of that in the Gemara. Right, that all that matters is what happens in the base matter. <laughs> right, what goes on in the real world. Right, you kill people. It doesn't matter. What matters is the relationship with the Rebbe. So that's kind of this reading of the story. Right, what matters is much less whether it was right to kill him or, or not. What matters is, did you have your proper relationship with your Rebbe? And Rav Kana, and Rav, Rav Kana does not have his proper relationship with his Rebbe, so Rav sends him off to Rabbi Yochanan and says, well, with him, not only are you not going to be able to act with that before asking him questions, you're not even allowed to ask him questions. Now, the only issue is, is that really good? You know, if, you, if you're the Rebbe and Rav Kana is the Talmud, you have a Talmud who often acts without asking questions, and you tell him you're not even allowed to ask questions, is that going to stop stop him or is it going to lead to him doing more? Right? right? If he can't even ask questions, he's just going to keep acting. Right? What you want to do is force him to ask questions. Right? So it's an odd punishment. 
for uh, it's an odd punishment for not having asked questions to say you're not allowed to ask questions. So I'm not 100% convinced by this either, although I give it, uh, I get definitely give it, you know, points on the scale. And I can see the argument that it's, um, I can see the second argument that it's um, about, that it's trying to benefit Rav Kana. But at the end of the day, none of these are really satisfying. Okay, so now we're gonna take a look. We're gonna take a look at the story in, um, at the story in Aramaic, and we're gonna read it together and see like why, whether there's any way out of this. So, that's pretty straightforward. He comes in front of Rav, don't do it. We pointed out last week, and maybe this will matter, that the Chivya is also a snake. And so the whole, the whole point of the opening story is don't be a snake. Right? Somebody wants to be a snake, Rav says, don't be a snake. And he says, I will be a snake. Okay. Um, Rav Kana is sitting in front of Rav. Rav Kana comes and breaks his neck. So it doesn't seem to be any, any ambiguity there either. Okay. Kari Rav So Rav speaks about him, and he gives us this whole drusha, which we had no way of resolving. I haven't made anything better. Okay, we can turn the page now. So that line, Kari Rav, Kari Rav il, uh, that Rav applied the following pasuk uh, to him, right? Banecha ulfu barosh kol chutzos. Banecha ulfu shokfu barosh kol chutzot. Kesav michmar. Um... And we really, right, really couldn't find a way. Uh, my son tried to suggest it was related to the previous pasuk, but I can't figure out what he meant. And he didn't respond to my email, so I don't know. And secondly, the, right, the whole drasha says, right, is built on a tab and a mikmar. So it's really very hard to say that we quoted the wrong pasuk. Really, really very hard. But there are two manuscripts that don't say kari rab What they say instead is amarle or amar. Now, does that help? Why does it help? It's still a pasuk. You're still applying the situation, obviously, right? So, what does it help? There's also, right? I also noticed that I biased you in the translation, right? I said that um, that the proper translation is uh, so. To the property of a Jew, once it falls into the hands of idolaters, they have no mercy. They have no mercy on it. So, on this this page, I decided not to translate the word on it, and to say they have no mercy a lot. Okay, anybody figure out what the solution is? Yes, Supramakha. Nope. Nope. So let's start with the word Allah, right? Once a person, one, right, once the money of a Jew falls, in, falls into their hands, they have no mercy allowed. On it or on? On him. So on him. So is it something like that someone is trying to inform on somebody else on his property. So once that property, like once taxes are taken, does that mean that the, that person is now in danger? So now let's talk about the, the metaphor. What does it mean that, right, that the, your, children, your children lie exhausted in the streets like an animal in a trap? Who doesn't have mercy on an animal in a trap? So the Marsha tried to say, it's the Shokhi who doesn't have mercy on an animal in a trap. What? Shokhi didn't have mercy on the animal before the trap. Shokhi is exactly the same if it's in a trap. What doesn't have mercy on animals in a trap are the other animals. The animal in a trap, which has ceased to struggle, right, which is lying exhausted in the streets, gets torn apart. So there's a two-stage process. First, you get caught in a trap, and then you're exhausted, and now you're prey for the other animals. So the proper translation is, right, once the money of the Jews right, is in the hands of the non-Jews, meaning once the Jews are in the trap, then they have no mercy. Right? Once they take your money, they're going to kill you, and therefore, you're justified in killing somebody for, right, killing somebody for being most their money. But it doesn't say Kari Ravi anymore. It says Amar Le or Amar. Amar, I think, is even better. Rav Kahana is self justifying. 
in this version. He looks at Ra, Ra says, what did you do? It's just money. And Rav Kana says, no, right? People who have had their who have had their money taken right taken by take, taken because of a moser are just lying in the streets, victims. Mm-hmm. To which Rav replies, "That was true under the Greeks, because the Greeks didn't care about murder. Not murder of their informers. Of course, they cared about murder of their informers. Everyone cared about murder of their informers." The Greeks didn't care about murder of the poor. And therefore, once somebody if somebody was going to take their money, you're right, he was also going to kill them. But now we're under a government that doesn't think that just because you were caught as a tax evader, you get to be killed. And therefore, right, so now we have a dial, it's as opposed to as opposed to this being robbed all the way through making a weak Russia, uh, which Right, with no right, which doesn't seem to adequately justify something. What we have is a dialogue between right between Rafkana and Rav, which Rafkana self-justifies his action, and Rav looks at him and says, Your right, your justification is obsolete. We have a different government. This government, you can't say that just because they're caught in a the trap, they're gonna kill them. Yes, right. Now we have an opposition between Amirachman Love and Karim Vashri Khasame. Yes, Yeah. Because it's under a different jurisdiction, right? You can't stay here because you murdered. And of course they care about murder. And you can't write it and justify it. Right? Now live in a government that cares about murder. And you were a murderer and you, and you can't right? you didn't murder to save you didn't even murder to save anybody. So we're not gonna protect you. Go away. Now I think this also makes you take a look at the language of Kavil Alay. Kavil Alay, every other place is accepting an atonement. Uh, right, so I think it has to be accepting atonement, and so even though the, it's, it's for your own good advice makes a certain amount of sense, it doesn't fit the language of also, this I'm not sure matters at all, but every other case of curry, a verse is always curry alay and not curry ilave, um, so that makes it a little bit better that that's a mistake in the manuscripts, uh, a little bit better. Okay, yes, then. If this is how we read the dialogue, how do we line up the first and the sister How do we end up with the statement that says Ah, so now, so now, well, so we notice that we also have the Greeks and the Persians backwards in lots of manuscripts, even that makes no sense at all. Um, because first of all, the Persians are later than the Greeks. And secondly, the language we quote in some, right, Mardin, Mardin is Persian and not Greek, as Rashi himself says. So things get backwards. But you'll ask me, why do things get backwards? The way you and my clapper got everything backwards in the beginning of the year, Jacob kept correcting you, right? <laughs> why, would anyone, why would anyone get things backwards? So let's go back to page one. Um, so on page one, I'm going to read you the, I'm going to read you the uh, second paragraph, which is going to make perfect sense. Kari Rav Yilavei, Banecha Ufu Shutfu Barosh Kol Kusot Kisav Mishmar. I hope I'm, I'm not getting the vowels right. I apologize. Ma Tavze Kevin Shenafal B'Mishmar In Rachmin Olav. Af Mamon Shal Yisrael Kevin Shenafal B'Yadav B'Kuchavim In Rachmin Olav. Amar Le Rav Kahana. Ada Idna. You see what I did? Right. It's very hard to tell the difference between Amar Le Rav. Kahana and Amrle Rav Kahana. So if you had, if you read it as Amrle Rav Kahana, you're likely to write the next one as Kari, right? Um, right, because right, then you have to, right, you have to, you have to, this has to be a response to what Rav said. So that's how you get Kari Rav Yilavei. So this back form from Amrle Rav Kahana. We have the text Amrle Rav Li Rav Kahana, which makes a lot more sense, right? So I think that the name is very, it's very easy for the names to, uh, for the names to get backwards. Um, okay. So, that's probably the highlight of the show. Right? Uh, you can buy it or not, but I think I have to like that. I, I enjoy it. I enjoy getting that when I thank the uh, the main sure today for sort of warming me up because I say that I was really ready to attack this. But now let's go see if we can make if we can make something out of the um, out of the rest of the story. Yes. In this. I'm just reading again today. I don't have themes yet. Okay. <laughs> I don't have themes yet. Yeah, I know. Right? People want, as we talked about it last week, right? People want a guy to have neat morals. Maybe they're just really good stories. Maybe that's why nobody wrote interpretations of them previously. Uh, or it could be that we'll discover at the end of it that there's actually a gorgeous structure and everything fits together well. I just don't know what it is yet. 
right? It might happen this week, might happen next week. Might, maybe they'll come to it a year. Okay, right now, we just, right, we just say that the dialogue between Rav and Rav Kahana doesn't just reflect a teacher-student dialogue. It also reflects really substantive issues, right? Where Rav Kahana, the Rav Kahana did something wrong Rav Kana, right, you know, really, we could argue that, you know, that why does Rav Kana not know that there are Persians now, right? They, apparently they have different attitudes towards the, right, towards the, um, towards, towards the, towards the government, um, right? All sorts of interesting things to emerge from this. Okay, so now, um, right, so, right, so, so now Rav Kana is on his, his, is in Israel and he wants to, uh, and he's not allowed to ask questions for Rav Yochanan for, uh, for seven years. He goes and he finds Reish Lakish who is teaching the Chazar uh for the rabbis. And he doesn't know that it's Reish Lakish. Um, so then different versions of the story happen. In some versions of the story, he asks Reish Lakish questions, not knowing that it's Reish Lakish. Um, at the end of the day, uh, right, it's not, and it's not clear. Right? So one version of the story, they ask, "Why you know, why do you want Rish Lakish?" And he says, "Because I would have asked all these questions," um, which seems to suggest that he's there to supplant Rish Lakish. In another version of the story, uh, he says, "He says to the person who doesn't realize it's Rish Lakish, Rish Lakish let Rav Yochan get away with that," <coughs> which means that he does. He's not there to supplant Rish Lakish. He's the, right. He believes that Rish Lakish is just as good as he is. He's kind of shocked. That Rish Lakish is not asking these obvious questions. So his relation, right? So his relationship, his relationship with Rish Lakish is not right, is different in um, is different in these in these two different versions. Uh, regardless, right, regardless, um, what happens is right, Rish Lakish goes to Rav Yochanan and says, Tomorrow you'd better prepare. So we talked about last time that tomorrow you better prepare is always a dangerous thing to say to the teacher because it's just unlike today. <laughs> uh, and what I wanted to argue was that that means pretty clearly that Shlokish had been pull, and had in fact been pulling his punches, and that Rakana is entirely correct. That when Rakana says what well, Shlokish was, was there, he let you get away with it. But right? if you knew Shlokish's reputation, Rav Yochanan shouldn't have been able to get away with it. But at some point, you stop asking the questions. And if you would ever get to that situation, you'll tell me. <laughs> um, right. And, uh, and Rav Yochanan says, Rav Yochanan says, Rav Yochanan, you better do that because Ariel Lami Bavel. We already pointed out last week that Ariel Lami Bavel is a quote from Yirmiya Perik Dalit, and it's talking about Nebuchadnezzar of Bavel coming to destroy Jerusalem. So Rav Yochanan is warning Rav Yochanan that the end of Jerusalem, the end of Yerushalmi Talmud is coming. <laughs> right? Because right? there's a sweeping force coming from the north, and at the end of it, no one will learn Yerushalmi anymore at all. It'll just be Bavli, 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 Bavli. <laughs> Okay, and that says good morning. <laughs> right, good morning. Um, not clear whether people listen to warnings in the story or not, but um, there we go. Okay, uh, right. So then we have right. So then we have the uh, the, uh, the story in which uh, Rav Kana really tries to listen to Ra, to the atonement that Rav opposed that Rav imposed on him, and he right. And even though he's just made his reputation by talking to Reish Lakish. Uh, he's silent when it comes. He's silent when it comes to Rabbi Yochanan, uh, and they keep demoting him. And this is, you know, and I think there are actually really two frustrations. One thing is they ask him the questions, and they keep demoting him every time they ask him a question. Right, they demote him one row. Uh, Rabbi Yochanan, right? We start off that he's in the front row, but he's not equal to. But it's clear he's not equal to Rabbi Yochanan. Rabbi Yochanan is on seven cushions. He's on the front row. So there's Rabbi Yochanan up there. There's now there's now um, Rav Kahana who's over here. And then there's everybody else who's down there. No racial location in the picture. I suspect that maybe I'm projecting that part of what frustrates Rav Kana is not just that he's being demoted to the back row of the shear, but that he's listening to a bad shear. Because hmm. everybody's saying things that people should be asking questions about. And nobody's asking questions. Uh, right? So, you know, this is really either way, you know, at some point he's saying to himself, where is Rachel Lakish? And the answer is Lakish isn't asking questions anymore. Uh, right? Rachel Lakish is now the person who gives the Chazarashir, as opposed to right as um, when he gives the Chazarashir, uh, right? As you would ask me, 
<laughs> Last week, do you want me? To, do you want me to give the Pizarro share? You know, just saying what you said, or do you want me to explain why it's wrong? Uh, which I, uh, it was right. That's that one of my favorite stories. Is in a uh, in a final in a particular course in YU, I once raised my hand and asked the teachers, "Do you want the correct answer or the answer you think is correct?" <laughs> because because the question was based on a on an argument that I had with the teacher in class, and he knew perfectly well how it is. And he said it was, it was Professor Firestone, and uh, he said, "Right, the answer I think, you know, the answer I think is correct." And that's I wrote the answer he thought was correct, and we are we argued about again afterwards. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it was about whether France's uh, strategy, uh, France's nuclear strategy, could be considered a strategy of mutual assured deterrence. That means anything to any of you. Mm -hmm. uh, France did not have have enough nuclear weapons to destroy the world. Mm -hmm. It only had enough nuclear, at least it didn't have enough nuclear weapons to destroy the world multiple times. So maybe that's not mutual assured destruction. That was his title. In any case. Um, so Rav Khan is listening to Shir, he's getting more and more frustrated because not right, he's getting demoted, but why is he getting demoted? Because no, nobody else is asking anything either. Right? He got promoted because he asked questions. I know, right? But the, the other the ultimate thing is, I think, is that he thinks that the pedagogy of the Shir is just wrong. The pedagogy of the Shir is what we discover is a very old man. Sitting on seven cushions, which we you know, we pointed out last week is an usher, according to the Gemara and Megillah. Teacher can't be sitting on cushions when students are sitting on benches. And nobody's asking questions. So finally, he does what you do when somebody imposes a penance on you that you don't really think is correct. Right? That's why I think it's important that Rav Ghana leaves for Israel. He has no choice but to leave for Israel because no one's going to protect him. And he tries, he really does try for almost a day to keep the seven years that uh, the Israeli imposed on him, but he doesn't think it's right. And if you think the penance is deserved, there's a chance. But if you think the penance is not deserved, and you're very clever, then inevitably you're going to find a way out of it. He does, right? Let those seven rows, right? Lucky him that it was seven rows, right? What if they, what if they hadn't had a six-row base medrash? Then he would have asked the question a year later. No, right? There would have been seven. There would have been seven chairs, right? And there would have been seven chairs to the next bench on a diagonal. It's seven. It's seven feet wide, right? Something like that, right? This wasn't. This wasn't going to last. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I'm trying very hard to bring the answer hard to share. Right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you can see the difference from last page. Um, okay, so um, so now, right? So now, he, so now he, he's sitting. He's he's sitting in the background. I wanted to point out, right? So what's the the whole conversation is framed around Rish Lakish says to Rabbi Yochanan, a lion is coming from Babylonia, and the, the, the crowning insult is when, um, is when Rabbi Yochanan says to Rish Lakish, your lion has become a fox. So I want to put a lion in fox does show up in one other, in one other story. Uh, it's a story that, showed, that exists in both the Yerushalmi and the Bavli, we're on page three. But the short version is in the Yerushalmi, is that when Rabbi Yezer, the son of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, Entered the entered the base vod, right? Whatever you know, whatever the you think the base vod was, the best in the yeshiva, whatever it may be. Ayupanav shall Rebbe shall Rebbe So Rebbe would always just turn dark, and his, his father uh, his father would say to him, "Vieus, is it? Are you right to do this? He is a lion, son of a lion, but you are a lion, son of a fox." Now, what does that mean? Why is Rebbe, why is Rebbe's face turning dark whenever he walks into the base medrash? Why is, um, why, why is his father telling him this? So the likelihood. This is Rebbe's father or Rebbe's Rebbe's father. Rebbe's father tells him, are you right? Is it right? I think, right? I mean, can't prove it, but I think it's right. You know, you shouldn't be so mad. But okay, why are you mad? Because he walks into the base medrash. That's not a good reason to be mad. So I think the most likely explanation is that the background to this is a story is parallel to the story um, in at the end of Horios that what Rebbe gets upset about is that everybody everybody says, "Oh, brother Rishimin is here," and like you know, Rebbe is like, "What am I? What am I? Chopped liver?" Like right, you know what? You, you like you're in the base bedroom. You think right, you're happily giving cheer to the three or four guys who are hanging around you, and then all in walks your brother Bishimon, and right, everyone, all the all base bedroom flows this way. Uh, right now, in the end of Harios, we have a story where every where everybody stands up in the exact same way for one right for for Mayor Benatan, and that's deliberately programmed. But I think you can imagine a story like that organically, and this story in the Rishalmi is a version of a. Um, a of a story in the Bavli. Uh, the story of the Bavli, which actually this very, uh, which you'll see 
has um, very clear echoes of the story we're reading. That when right, the generations are shifted. Well, Rabbi Shimon Gamliel and Rabbi Shimon Karcha are sitting on benches, and Rabbi Eliezer, Rabbi Shimon, and Rabbi are sitting right are sitting on the ground. Actually, same right. Ma'akshu Mafarki, and they're all they're asking questions and they're answering them. So Rabbi Shimon Gamliel, Shimon Karcha say these students right. These students, they may under Shosim, we're drinking their waters. So the students are really this are really the lifeblood of this space measure. Um, but the and they sit on they sit on the ground. That doesn't make any sense, right? That would be as if like imagine if we were sitting on seven cushions, and the students were and the students were sitting were sitting on benches. You shouldn't do that if the students are really the sharp ones, right? Um, so they made benches for them. They had them sit there, right, to try and show the students were on the same level. So who is Rebbe's father, says, you're going to create nine hara. Right? Well, all the students are on the floor and you're putting my, my, my son on benches. That's going to create nine hara. Um, whether you want to treat nine hara mystically or jealousy of the other students, whatever it may be, I don't think that's a bad, I think that's a bad idea. Who? I believe so. Yes, right. I think right. I think that the stories are generational. Okay, um, so they put Rebbe down down on the floor. And Rishul Ben Karko says, "Hmm." So we had these two students up there, and you said, "Ooh, bad Ayn Hara. Let's take one of them off." That way, now if you're an Ayn Hara, now you're focusing pretty pretty much on the other one now, right? <laughs> so they're saying because so you so you have now protected your son, but you have exposed Rishul Bar Yochai's son. That doesn't make any sense. So now they lower him also. So in this marvelous inversion, Rebbe is humiliated because they lower Rebbe Shimon. When they raised them together, it wasn't set, right. It wasn't such a big deal. But now that they lower them together, he can't deal with it because that right that that really marks him out as uh, right as something we care about him as much as you. So now right. So this is how Rebbe so Cholash Date. So Rebbe Rebbe gets depressed. Right? Do you think that he's as important as I am? Uh, until that day, whenever Rebbe said anything, would always say, yeah, that's right. Here, right here's another support for you. Whenever Rebbe said, I have an answer, that's what you're going to say. And right, that's the answer to what you're going to say. Um, you would have piled us up with nonsense. Actually, pretty hard, right? This is what you're going to say. This is why it's wrong. And you always say this nonsense. Um, now, some of you will have the echoes of the story, right? That this is right, what Rabbi Yochanan gets mad when somebody just tries to say, right, what you said is good. And Rabbi Yochanan, right, that's, what, that's when he gets mad when they bring somebody in to replace. All right, to replace Rish Lakish, because Rish Lakish used to challenge me. But Rebbe okay with somebody who just says Tanya Debe Sayyidah. Right? Rebbe's right. okay with that. And that, I think, is like this really powerful thing, because the reason Rebbe's okay with that is because Rebbe understands Rebbe Lezer Rebbe Shimon is sharper. And right, so he is threatened. Rebbe Yochanan is not threatened. If you're not threatened, then you want students to, then you want students to challenge you. When you're threatened, you want the smartest students to support you, mm -hmm. right? So Rebbe, right? So Rebbe has a relationship, and it's very, and Rebbe is very, very vulnerable because he knows his chavrusa is sharper than he is, and he has the ichas, and there's all, there's all, and there's this tension, and it works fine until the point that Rebbe shows his chavrusa that this is not right, that this actually is competitive. No, Rebbe has yichus. Rebbe Shimon doesn't have yichus. His, his father, his father apparently is dead by now, and he doesn't have the same protection. That's an interesting question: Why Rebbe Shimon Bar Yochai is in yichus? But we just said, right? He's in a he's in a Rebbe Ari in your right, right, right. That's the answer. Rebbe Shimon is in a Rebbe. Rebbe Shimon is a fox. Politically, he doesn't have the nesiut. Right. That's the that is at the end of the day. Um, Right, what matters is not whether your father was the greatest Lamdiv, what matters is whether he was the Rosh Hashiva <laughs> or the Nasi, right? Because right, you'll get the, uh, there's, there's a lot of realism in these stories, right? Part of the whole, the whole, the whole story of the, of the Bayat Shani Nisiyut, 
um, where we can do the where you can where you can, you can listen to my uh, my audio on the uh, deposition of Rabbi Gamliel. The whole story is built around the recognition that you're picking an Asihi with but they have other skills they have other important skills but all the right but it takes a lot to be a person who says look much of my life is spent in the base marriage where i am number two but i have the position number one and that's okay because i know what i'm good at or you know otherwise or you just spend your time by being constantly assaulted right so it's not so easy for Rebbe. not so easy for Rebbe. uh not your rabbi at all, and you know it's not like the other rishi are always nice to you. Um, I, you know, I get, you know, again, I will tell you right that Rabbi Lamb one year gave shear, um, and the reason he gave shear was because you're the nasi, but there are all these other rishi yeshiva, right? When you express an opinion, say, but you're just a nasi, you're the fundraiser, right? But we are the lamdanim, so he gave right. So one year he gave a shear to show that no, I'm by choice I'm the rishi, I'm the nasi, right? That was the right. That was the purpose of it. Um, that was that, there was no pretense about that. Um, and it was fun, um, but it's, really, it's hard to prepare when you're the Nasi. Right? Somebody says you better show up, you better, you better prepare tomorrow because there's a lion coming up from Babylonia. And you can say, okay, but I have a meeting with a major funder. What am I supposed to do? Um, okay. So, um, right, so the end, right, so Rebbe, Rebbe gets depressed. He sells, tells the story to his father, and his father. His father says, Don't be bothered, right? Because you're an Ari ben Ari and he's an Ari, and, and because you're, he's an Ari ben Ari, you're an Ari uh, ben Shul. Uh, actually, it's the other way around this story, right? In this story, in this story, it's no, in this story, Elizabeth Rabbi Shimon is the Rabbi Shimon Yuchai is the Ari, and Rebbe's father Shul. Sorry, the other way around, right? It reverses the Yerushalmi. Sorry, my fault, right? It reverses the Yerushalmi the other way around. Rabbi Shimon enters base medrash. Rabbi, you know, you're right. They're both the same. Rabbi Shimon Yochai, my fault. Thank you. So he says, Rabbi Shimon Gamliel says, right? Sorry, my fault. Right? Rabbi Shimon Yochai is the real yichus. Right? We're just in the sea, and Rabbi Shimon Gamliel can deal with that. And that's why Rabbi says, right? You know, there was one enough really in the world. And that was my father. There were three enough in the world, right? Because my father could tell me that, right? That I was the son of a fox, even though he was in the sea. Okay. The point is that Ari and Shul are terms that have a specific valence, right? Um, right, so we know right when when uh, when Rabbi Yochanan says to Rish Lakish, "Arina Seshul," it's a very clear ranking. Right, right. It means right. It means, it means that he's not he's not as good a Talmud Chacham as we are. It's not just an objective thing. You said there was a lion; he's a fox. No, it's you said there was a king of the beasts, and it said he's like there. We're fine. Okay, just so we understand the valence of that uh, of that of that. Story. Okay, turning, moving on. Um, so. Uh, right, so we have the right to tell the story. We're sitting on the ground. Right, pointed out last time. I think it's very important that to understand what's going on with um, with Rabbi Yochanan, You have to understand that even the most Rabbi Yochanan can get to is they take away his seven cushions, and he's still sitting. Uh, he's still sitting on the ground or on his on his cushion. I, don't, I mean, I don't know if the, the right. He's sitting, still sitting, facing the students. He's still the Rebbe, and not the and they're still the students. Right, so Rabbi Yochanan, No matter how much, no matter the worst. The, the most you can do to lower Rabbi Yochanan and raise the students, at the end of the day, Rabbi Yochanan is still the Rebbe and they're still the Talmudim. Or if you want to say he's still the Ari and they're still the Shuala. Okay. Uh, so Rabbi Yochanan has this vision uh, where he says, I want to, I want to see Rafkana once Rafkana gets almost equal to him. And he sees Rafkana, he thinks Rafkana is laughing at him, um, and he kills Rafkana whether by accident or deliberately is not, is not clear. Uh, one one version of it is accidentally he doesn't even and he comes one of, and he comes in the next day and nobody knows where Afkana is. One version of it is he does it deliberately and he comes in the next day and he says, "Did you see how that Babylonian behaved?" And they tell him it was a mistake. Either way, Afkana is now dead. Okay, um, I have these two versions, and so now he goes he goes to see him. One version there's a cave, and one version we don't have the cave. He goes to see him, and there's a snake, and he says to him. Snake, snake, open your mouth and let the teacher enter to beside the, beside the student. The snake doesn't open. And he says, okay, let the, let, let the chaver enter next to the chaver. And the snake doesn't open. And then finally he says, let the student enter next to the teacher and the, and the, snake, and the snake opens. Okay, so what is really going on in the story? Um, right, what's the, what, is, what is the snake doing 
and right what's the what's the what's the what's the the valence of the um, of the whole story um so one thing immediately that i think plays out through the whole story is that um i have to think about you know i open at the close right, which is the, right the resurrection set the resurrection stone in harry potter um, inside the uh, inside the golden snitch and in fact the right that's why in fact, the whole story afterwards seems to have the right is, is equivalent to these shadowy figures that Harry Potter sees, or if his parents were not really alive. Uh, that's one one obvious resonance, assuming that um, the Gemara was not having to J.K. Rowling, uh, which we could assume, you know, but if you want a sufficient madriga, you can predict such things, uh, or there might be more than coincidence. But but I want to try a couple more things. Okay, so Rashi says Hadrileachna. What it right? So what what does it mean that the, there was a snake? Nachash gadol galgal. There was a snake that made itself into a galgal. Uh, I don't know what a galgal is—a wheel, a ball. Um, not clear what a galgal is. Umakifet piamara, and it 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 um, surrounds the mouth of the cave, and it puts its um, its tail inside its mouth, and nobody can enter. So I don't I don't know what Rashi's vision is here. Um, but right, he does tell you very explicitly that it's, it's an Ouroboros, right, that the snake's tail is inside his mouth. I'm not sure what his vision is. Now, the thing is that Rashi thinks that the word Achan in Shas always means an Ouroboros. Right? It doesn't mean snake. It means this particular snake. Every time the word shows up, it means snake. So let's take a look at the other examples where Rashi, where Rashi says this. So we have, um, why is Achan in Sefer Yeshua called Achan? She'ikein avonoseyen shel Yisrael. Okay, that's very helpful. What does it mean? So Rashi says, So now we need some other kind of metaphor, right? Where he rolls their sins upon them. He coils their sins about them. I don't know. I, what I can tell is that Rashi really wants it to be a round snake. <laughs> and he wants it to fit. Right? Other people try, Yad Ramah tries a little better. Uh, right, so he tries to make the snake do the hekif as opposed to the uh, as opposed to the galgal and, and get away both ways. Not so good. Okay, the really fun one, of course, is page seven is the Tanur Shalachnoi. The Tanur Shalachnoi. Why is it called Achnoi? So Rabbi Yudah Mashmol says shehikifan dvarim ka'achnazu v'timuhu. So the big question is shehikifu dvarim. Does it mean they surround the oven? Or does it mean that they surround that they surround Rebliezer? Um, and what does it mean, right? That they surround it, right? They cave they surround it like a snake. So presumably we're talking about constrictors and not asps. Um, maybe. So maybe not poisonous snakes. Um, but um, okay, still, still not entirely clear what this image is. Uh, right, Rashi says there, it likes to be round, and to put its, it put its uh, tail inside its mouth. Okay. Here's what I think has been wrong about the story so far, and this will probably we'll have to, we'll have to leave, uh, we'll have to leave it at this, and then we'll, um, and then we'll, maybe we'll pick it up yet again next week, and maybe if I figure out the end of the story by next week, the place actually takes place in the afternoon. Um, what is what is Rabbi Yochanan trying to do at the cave? So we know what happens is that some form of resurrection occurs. Right? That's going to be the end of the story. But what is he trying to do? What does it mean right, that the snake is blocking the cave? So I'm going to read you a story. Maybe a story notes. Gemara Moikat. Gemara Moikat goes as follows. There was a young guy who had a bad reputation. Presumably he had a bad, you know, he had a reputation for being, uh, for somewhat loose, uh, loose behavior. And Ravita says, what do we do? We could put him in Tehran, but it's, he actually serves a public purpose. You know, it seems to do useful things, whatever the useful things are. But if we don't put him in Kherem, then we create a Tilo Shem Shemayim. So this is a very important precedence, um, right, where they end up quoting Rabbi Yochan. Rabbi Yochan says, Right, that you can't learn from teachers who have bad reputations, only learn from teachers who have good reputations. Obviously, there are lots of ways to qualify this, and we always have to go back to Elisha ben and the and all those sorts of things, right, how we square that. But in this story, so they end up putting him in Kherem. <laughs> okay. And he dies in Kherem. It's sort of a very 
you know, a very uh, bitter story where he sh- Rabuda, Rabuda put him in Kerem is on his deathbed and he shows up to pay his respects and Rabuda laughs at him and shows up right? and he says, why are you laughing at me? He says, because at least I know I'm, I'm dying in peace because I, didn't, I never flattered any, even people like you. <laughs> so, okay, that doesn't that scene doesn't end well, right? Then uh, they tried it. They tried. They tried to repeal the harem after death, and the Amasa, they, and the and somebody comes up and says, you know what? We treated a harem of the Amasa, they read me more seriously than this. So he died, he dies in harem. Okay, this story deserves analysis in its own right. Uh, after he dies in harem, um, worst things right? Worst things happen. Okay, so now we are. Um, we're just right. We're um, just be just before the the the, uh, the the first bolt, right? So he goes out of the base measure. He doesn't have a he does, he's not he's, he doesn't have any permission. He's crying. He gets uh, sort of an off-color death bite by, from a bee. punishes him for his sexual sins, and now he's dead. And it says, "I live in my rasa de chasside below kiblu." So they want to bring him to the cave where the chasidim are buried. Right, the pious people, and they don't accept him. And they bring, but they bring him in the Dayanim. The Dayanim are not as good as Hasidim, so the Dayanim, the Dayanim accept him. Okay, what does this mean, the cave, that they don't, they don't let him into the cave? So Rashi says the following. He couldn't get in because there was a snake surrounding the cave. Hmm. Now, there's a missing dialogue here, which is, what did they ask the snake? But it's a clue. It's clue as to how Rashi reads this. Uh, a deeper clue is the Gemara in Bav Metziah Daf Pei which is part of an amazing, amazing multi 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 with 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 enormous apparent tangent story of the death of Rabbi Lezer Rabbi Shimon, in which uh, in which he right uh, he is an informer for the Romans. And uh, right, and right, and he dies. Um, and his wife, and he, t- he says, "You can't." He says to his wife, "Don't bury me because I know that they'll mistreat the body." Mm-hmm. And uh, eventually, right, um, eventually there's a, there's a, there's a uh, there's a dream, and um, and right, his father, his father, his father, right, once again comes to protect him and says, "How can you leave my son? How can you leave my son unburied?" There's a wild thing where. So the rabbis try to bury him, but the Bnei Achbaria, so Achbaria is a nearby town, but it's really hard to believe that it's just a nearby town, uh, right, and not, and not the mice, uh, right, because prote- prote- right, you expect the rats to eat the body. Instead, the rats prevent the rabbis from, the rabbis from, the rabbis from burying the body. And, um, and, right, and the, and the uh, right, so the rabbis send other people who some, sometime do, do, do um, get revelers from his body, and they try and bring him to his father's body. And they say to the, they, they find the snake encircling the cave. Rashi tells you once again, it's a snake with its head, with its mouth, with its tail in its mouth. And, um, and they say, Open your mouth and let the son come into the father. And the snake says yes. But when his son comes, this, right, the snake says no. Okay, here's the thing I want to leave you with. What does it mean to ask the snake to open its mouth? It doesn't mean to go into resurrected. It means to die, right? When you want to get past the snake, that means you want to be buried in the same place, right? And the right and that. Really is that's right. I think Yerubaris really is. I open it to close. I think that J.K. Rowling had that in mind. It's not Chazal being Mechavi to J.K. Right, to J.K. Rowling. It's J.K. Rowling right, using the same using the same imagery that right that right because the Yerubaris society opens at the close. Right, has its tail has, has, has its tail in its mouth. So what is happening when Rabbi Yochanan doesn't want to go in to resurrect Ravkana, Rabbi Yochanan is going in to join Ravkana, and so the whole dialogue about the resurrection. Has to be right, has to be understood at, right as not a I I hear I am all alive right I'm just right I just kill I kill you no big deal now I'm gonna resurrect you come with me right it really had it really has to be Rav Yochanan accepting upon himself a kapara right for having killed for having, for having killed Rav Khan accidentally and the snake says you don't even deserve that 
right? You don't deserve to be buried with him. Okay, so I think that that's the, I think that's, that's what you have to get to understand the next part of the story is that he's asking, he's asking to be buried with him. The Kassar of Terah tells you that these stories are actually built around two caves being next to each other. The burial caves of these rabbis are next to each other. Um, in in Meiron, he has he has diagrams, and so right, and so that's really what the story is about: is will he get to be buried next to next to him or not? Okay, so we'll figure. It, hopefully, next time we'll pick up with uh, what the ending of the story is and figure it out by then. Okay, thank you all very much for listening online. Did I miss anything in the chat? I did not, um, but I will look forward to emails during the week again, which hopefully will be as stimulating as last week. <laughs>